All right, good evening. We believe we are called to a life full of fruit. We are free from the guilt and shame of sin, free from the condemnation of the law by the blood of Christ. I believe the quality of our fruit is a direct reflection of our depth of understanding what the depth of Jesus, death of Jesus means to us personally and whether we feel in some way deserving of salvation. The parable of the sower in Matthew 13, we see four types of soil. Some seeds fell by the wayside. Jesus says later on to his disciples, after they ask, why are you talking in parables? He says, the ones that fall by the wayside or in, uh, on the path are those that hear the word but don't understand it. And the wicked one comes and takes it away. The seed that falls in stony places are those that receive with joy. There's a little dirt there, but no root. Trouble and persecution comes and their joy is dried up. The seeds that fall among thorns, the dirt is good. But the cares and riches choke it out. They become unfruitful, it says. The good ground, verse 23 of Matthew 13 says, But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So what type of soil are you? How deep did Christ's love penetrate your ground? Are you producing a hundredfold? 60, 30, when was the last time you checked for weeds? Sometimes we produce fruit. I've, I've alluded to the fact that we can have fake fruit sometimes. You can fake love, you can fake joy, um, kind of fake peace to other people, not, not between you and God. You can't fake anything between you and God. Uh, and even this evening here in a little bit, we'll, uh, we'll talk about faking kindness. So what is real fruit? What does it look like? How do we know if our own fruit is sincere, if it's coming from a heart that has received love and we're giving pure love? And I, I thought of this today because I've been thinking about fruit a lot lately, as you might guess. And I saw this and... These are some of my favorite snacks, is these gummy fruits. If I would read down through these ingredients, there's not a lick of fruit in there. It says assorted fruit slices. It's, it's assorted sugar slices. They're pretty good. They're appetizing. They're appealing. I like them. Are they good for me? No. Just a few. Are they real? They're real something. They're not real fruit. Strawberry lemonade. Boy, now that looked good when it was sitting in the cooler and all sweaty because it was hot and humid. Taste of the islands, it says. Shake well. Real lemon bits. As opposed to? So I get to looking. 6% juice. It's not real. Would it be refreshing to some point? Maybe, but it's not real. Is our fruit real? Is what we have to offer just something that looks good? Or is it from true fruit? Is it, are we producing the produce that comes from a heart of love, a heart that's been saved, a heart that's been affected by the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It was going so good, and now we have long-suffering. First question I have is, what else does 
macrothumia, translate to. Long-suffering, forbearance, patience, endurance, all translations of that word. In English, if we had, a, if we had a, an opposite of short-tempered, then long-tempered would fit here. So what are some verses that you think about when you think about patience? Patience is the word that I'm going to use tonight. Thank you. Charity suffers long. Some translations say love is patient. Love is kind. Patient and kind, the two that we're looking at tonight. A couple. Seventy times seven. That's patience. That's long-suffering. Any others? I searched in my Bible, searched that I had those four from the Old Testament, the one that stuck out for me was Psalm 86, 15. But that one word, part of God, full of compassion and gracious, long suffering, the funniest of verse, the first thing I Those four all are about the long suffering of They are. We have that one here shortly, too. It's fascinating to me that mercy he read is, is, um, is together with mercy and truth. Mercy and truth that kissed each other, is that what it says? That's right. So you have the, you have the, the static of right and wrong on the other hand, you have mercy on the other side. Yeah, in, in studying for five evenings of the fruit of the Spirit and trying to keep everything separated. It's pretty hard. Because they all cross into each other. That's why it's the fruit singular of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. They're all tied together. And, like we heard, they all hang on two kinds of love. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to go ahead and turn to that. Actually, does anyone have an NIV that they could turn to and read that for me? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Thank you. Did that just describe your life? I hope so. That was another picture of this fruit of the Spirit. Love is all those things. And the first one, love is patient. Love is patient, love is kind. We have both of those this evening. They are hand in hand. If you're going to be impatient with someone unforbearing, short-tempered, you're automatically not going to be kind to that person. Patience is a product of love. Which of the two loves does it stem from? So the two loves that we have are love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Which love does patience stem from? The latter. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a trick question. It stems from both. We see it in love for our neighbor. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it fleshes out. But the patience of the Lord is the root of it. And our love to God, our patience towards God in waiting for strength, in waiting for his return, it's, it's twofold. Of course, we like tangible examples, and so we often think of patience as patience with other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's both, it's both of them. Love to God, patiently waiting on him, loving your neighbor as yourself. 
trying to make sure that I'm not getting ahead of myself this evening. Give me just a moment. Is long-suffering just for when we're persecuted? should have had that question later because I just realized I have notes on that later. Thank you. What does patience prove? To us, to the world, to God. God's faithfulness. Thank you. It proves that we're actually Christian, which means the world Christ Imitators of Christ. What is it we trust God? Yeah. Patience proves to our brother that we love him. To the world that we're not controlled by our emotions. Patience proves hope. Hope implies later on, right? Hope is not now. You don't, I don't hope for a strawberry lemonade. I have it in my hands. Hope is in the future, and it takes patience in the things that we hope for. We hope for the return of the Lord. Patience proves faith. James 1, 3 through 4 is knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work. James 1, 19 through 20. Someone have that? For my blood, brother, I never be swift to hear, so to speak, so to Slow to speak, slow to wrath. If you know me or have known me long, you would know that I have a temper. I have not expressed that temper for a long time. It's come very close to the surface. I have learned how to control that temper and, and keep it in check. But it's there. Certain things really, really get to me. Slow to speak and wrath. It's, it's a lack of patience. I don't, have, I don't have patience for dumb people, I've said in the past. I just don't have patience for dumb people. That's a horrible attitude. That's how I feel sometimes. I wonder if God is tempted to feel that way about us sometimes. Thankfully, he is loving and patient and kind. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Long-tempered. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Someone have that? He's saying, put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Are you the elect of God? Well, yes, that's who we are. All right, well, then put on all these things, and it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit again. Long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving, as Christ. He's the example. Be this way, be like Christ. How was Christ patient? First Peter two twenty one through twenty three. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Thank you. Christ bore the agony of our uh, bore the agony of suffering and death. He was long suffering in it. We talked a little bit last night and asked if he was joyful in it. I think he endured it and he was at peace with it. 
He was forbearing. Think about this. The Roman soldiers that whipped and beat and spit on him and nailed him to the cross, the patience that Christ had said, I'm going to forbear this. I'm going to endure this because soon my death will be an opportunity for them for salvation. He also forgave them while they were doing it. That's right. So what does patience prove? Patience proves to our brother that we love him, to the world that we're not controlled by our emotions, proves hope, proves faith. Patient in trouble. These are things that we should be. Patient in trouble, in receiving rebuke. Rebuke is good sometimes, especially when it's done out of a heart of love. Patient in false accusation. Christ was patient in the face of false accusation, twisted words. Patient with the, with the weak in faith. In waiting on God for strength. I have the reference, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall walk and not faint. See, patience is not just with other people. Patience is... Lord, I'm losing my joy here. I'm losing my peace here. I need patience right now. It's waiting on the Lord for strength. Patience in waiting for the return of the Lord. Give me patience, Lord. I need it right now. Love is not always hard. Joy is not always tainted, and peace is not always shaken. However, the need for forbearance, long-suffering, or patience, on the other hand, doesn't exist until something is pushing against it. If life is good and perfect, you don't need patience. But the problem is, we are humans, and this is earth, and you're going to need patience. James 5, 7 through 11. Someone have that? Be patient, therefore, brother, of the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband, husband has waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord shall all night. Grudge not again, not only against another brother. Must be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the Lord. Take my brother and the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for the sample of the suffering of affliction and of patience. Behold, we come to Matthew's door. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. But the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Thank you. Do we face persecution and tribulation? I don't. I might face affliction here and there. Struggles, emotional struggles. We don't face persecution. And so I would say that we are not, here in this room at least, as bad off as who James was writing to. James is writing to, if you look at the beginning of James, he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad through the earth. He's writing in a time where Christians are being persecuted for the first time. Stephen had already been martyred. Paul, Saul at that point, was ruthlessly pursuing and imprisoning Christians. They were being imprisoned, tortured, killed. And James says, be patient, forbearing. Jesus is coming back soon. He is coming back soon. 
Sometimes we wish he would hurry up. Sometimes we're glad he hasn't yet. Because life here can be good. And we can enjoy it. And we can make the most of it. And so when I get frustrated with the things that are going on in life or spats within the brotherhood or whatever it might be, and I've just had enough, I need to think about this and the type of patience that it takes to forbear actual persecution. Is, is, um, is emotional persecution any less persecution than physical persecution? Yes. I think so. Because physical persecution is both physical and emotional. You cannot be physically persecuted without being emotionally persecuted. And so I would say it's worse. Emotional persecution is hard. I'm not lessening that. Except the physical persecution, you know you've been persecuted. Emotionally persecuted, you can't decide if it's you or him. But emotional persecution affects you physically. It can. It can, but I still hold, in my opinion, that being stoned is worse than harsh words. I would probably choose the emotion. All right, a few passages I want to look at there. Psalm 86, 15, James 1, 2 through 4, and Romans 12, 12. Thank you. God is patient. That's the source of our patience. It's where we learn it from. Christ is patient. Our life, this life of fruitfulness, flows out of the example of Christ, the example of God. God is patient. James 1, 2 through 4. My brother, can I all joy when you fall into dire temptations? Is that how we react to the trying of our faith, of faith to temptations and trouble? That we know that it's working patience in us? Did you read verse four? I didn't. I didn't read verse four. I was looking at my notes thinking I'm missing something here. Could you read verse four? Uh, let patience have a perfect word that you may be imperfect in entire holy belt. Thank you. Let patience have her perfect work so you can be entire. It's that wholesome word again. Complete. Wanting nothing. Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continued instant in prayer. Thank you. Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in your patience. Hope is patience, I said. Be joyful in that. And then continuing instant or continually in prayer. Have you ever faced a, a situation where you know you needed patience and half sarcastically under your breath you said, Lord, give me patience? I've been there. It shouldn't be half sarcastic. It should be wholehearted. I got a question that brings to mind a story, not a story, but a, an incident where I was talking with a trucker and he said he had hurt his hand really bad, that long enough. And he said, right after it happened, he said, the Holy Spirit told him to start praising the Lord, just, just thanking the Lord. And so he did. And he said, uh, went to a hospital and he said, they never had use of his hand again. He said, it's fully functional. And I wonder how much that patience I'm sure it does. All right. Had half of my page covered. I already asked the question do we have tribulations? Yes, but not like some. How do we deal with conflicts at church? Do we exemplify Christ's patience? 
do we have this attitude that they're just off their rocker? There's no way that they're right. Let each esteem other better than himself. Now, I am not saying hold their opinion up higher than yours, am I? Because you need to believe what you believe. But it's an attitude. It's not an attitude of I'm right and you're wrong and I'm never going to be convinced otherwise. The attitude should be, I believe that I'm right. This is why. Why do you believe what you believe? And have a conversation. I truly believe that if two people who disagree on a matter both wholeheartedly desire to serve and please God, that they will come out on the same page. The applications of where they come out might not be the same, but both of them will end up wholeheartedly serving and pleasing God. What are the things that try your patience? Clock's moving too fast is one of mine. Last night I was going to talk about peace in the home and how we can have peace in the home and how it's important to have peace in the home as an example of peace. Peace and patience go hand in hand in the home. Moms, when you're down on the floor scrubbing up something that's spilled and little Susie comes over with her freshly glued and glittered stuffed animal, do you tell her how beautiful it is? Or dad, when you've come home from a long, hard day at work and you're tired and frustrated and Johnny comes up and wants to know how a lawnmower cuts grass. It's, just, it's a blade that spin, spins around underneath the bottom. Do we take the time to be patient in the small things? See, we like to equate patience with just the big things, the things that we have to fight against, right? The things that provoke us. But there's an element of patience that we need in the small stuff, the everyday stuff. Do we try God's patience? Do we abuse his grace? Does he have reason to say, this people praise me with their mouth, but their heart is full of themselves? I believe it tries God's patience. A tale of two fig trees. So we talked about these a little bit already. The first tree in Mark 11, we see um, Jesus on his way from Bethany into Jerusalem. He sees this tree that's in full foliage, which fig trees produce leaves and fruit at the same time. So he goes up to it. There's no fruit. He says, cursed be you. Let no one ever eat fruit from you again. Next morning, it was withered up to the roots. There's another tree that I alluded to as well in... Luke 13, I'm going to go ahead and read that. You can turn there if you'd like to. Luke 13, 6 through 9. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he the dresser of the vineyard, answering unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. God's response to both those fig trees was the same. It's not producing fruit, cut it down. His response to a vine, or to a branch in the vine that's not producing fruit is cut it down and throw it on the fire. Now, the dresser of the vineyard interceded for the fruitless tree. And that, that's a beautiful picture of the way Christ intercedes for us. But are we willing to let Jesus do that? Having your roots dug around is not comfortable.
God is merciful. God is just. We must not try the patience of God. His mercy endures forever, but at some point he will say, cut it down. Is our relationship with the vine dresser such that he will intercede for us? Someone read 2 Peter 2, 4 through 7, please. For God's Thank you. God is patient to a point, but at some point he's done. And I fear that we live in an age and with the attitude that, maybe I shouldn't quite be doing this, but if I'm really convicted about it later, I'll, I'll ask forgiveness. We don't, we don't value the death of Christ any more than we acknowledge the depth of sin. God is patient, but God is also just. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. They came to her and said to him, and said, Lord, how long shall my brother be given this reason I forgive him until seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. By show of hands, how many of you have had a brother sin against you? Okay. It's not comfortable. Has anyone passed 70 times 7 yet? Probably not. Might feel like it sometimes. You know, we can point to times when we feel sinned against. And, and I think rightly so sometimes. But we need to have forgiveness. Forgiveness is patience. Because forgiveness says, I'm... I'm giving you another chance. Forgiveness is not keeping a record either. Forgiveness is not, I'll give you another chance, but I'm holding on to this back here, and if you ever do something again, I'm going to bring it back here and remind you. Meaning? Do we want to do a show of hands on that too? Valid point. Patience and forgiveness goes much farther than when someone sins against you, though. It can be something as simple as that they annoy you. Do you have patience with the people that annoy you? Do you know that when someone annoys you, anything that they do only furthers that annoyance? They could bake you a pie, and it would annoy you. Once you've made up your mind that you just don't like someone, you can't stand someone, it's a snowball effect. There's a little saying. I can't find who wrote it, but I have it printed here. To dwell in love with saints above, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, ha, that's a different story. Did you know that the, the people that you will be in heaven with are the same people that you're here on earth with, hopefully? You ought to probably start loving and tolerating them now. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. And we beseech you, brother, to know that which labor among you, wherever you in the Lord, and admonish you. Esteem the very highly love for the work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the people by the support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Thank you. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. 
while we are, quote, patiently waiting on our brother to get his act together, are we encouraging them? Are we building them up? Are we helping them along? Are we dragging them along? Are we trying to push them ahead? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation for which you are called. Through all of this meekness, with all suffering, preparing one another about, and never keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Thank you. This is your calling. Are you walking worthy of it? Forbearing one another in the unity of peace. Forbearing one another does not mean that we all agree. Live as Christ, Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another, forbearing. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Thank you. Forbearing and forgiving. This is what brings peace. They're, they're all tied together. Live as Christ. Live as Christ. Do you get the pattern yet? All of these fruits, Christ is the example. Is your life a reflection of your understanding of Christ? Yes. The way that you live reflects how you understand Christ. Get to know him. How does God's, just a few questions here and we'll take a few minute break. How does God's forbearance with you change the way you relate to others? It should change a lot. How do we make it through tribulations without blaming God? That's something for you to think about. I said earlier that um, the need for forbearance, long-suffering, or patience doesn't exist until something is pushing against it. So how do you express patience? How do you let your brother know that I'm, I'm being patient with you, I'm going to forbear with you? How do you do that without implying that he is the cause? Take a few minute break. All right, we're going to keep moving. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. The Greek word is krestates. It means kindness, gentleness, and goodness. And it's a different translation of goodness than the one that we'll have later on. Kindness, gentleness, and goodness. It is the same as the Hebrew... Chesed, chesed, meaning God's kindness, sometimes translated mercy. If love is the emotion, kindness is the action. If love is the emotion, kindness is the action. Acts of kindness. This, this, is, where, this is where we do things. So tell me about an act of kindness in the Bible. Naomi and Ruth. Naomi and Ruth. Thank you. A beautiful picture of kindness. Good Samaritan. I love the story of the first cake where the widow made a little cake. Made a little cake of bread. It's a simple act of kindness. Um, Jesus with the woman at the well of Samaria. The woman at the well. Um, another act of kindness is when See, this is why I should write things down. Somebody was going to look for a spouse for somebody else, and the woman drew water for the camels. And that was just an act of kindness, and that was the sign that they were looking for. Sorry about the lack of people's names. Thank you. <laughs> we'll get it. What are verses that come to mind? 
and I'm just going to I'm going to point out a couple here that we have. Psalm 23 verse 6. Anyone have that pulled up yet? So the interesting thing about that is the word that's used there is the it's Old Testament, so it's Hebrew. The word is chesed, and it means mercy. So you have goodness, the goodness that we'll talk about later this week, and kindness. It's, it's also translated loving kindness sometimes. It's undeserved kindness is what the connotation is. So Psalm 136, I'm not going to ask anyone to read that whole thing, and we're not going to for sake of time. But if you are close to it and want to turn to it, you can. It's titled, A Litany of God's Wonders. And David goes through with things. Every single verse ends with, For his mercy endureth forever. It's an attribute. His mercy endureth forever. That word mercy is chesed, his loving kindness. The, the kindness of God endures forever. So are we kind people? Are we known as a kind people? Are you known as a kind person? A stranger comes to your church. Do they experience kindness? Hebrews 13.2. Anyone have that pulled up? Be not together to entertain strangers, but thereby some of their images are I believe that verse. I truly do believe that verse. I don't know if it's ever happened to me. But I believe that it happens more than we like to think. Are you kind to everyone? Or are you only kind to the people that will reciprocate that kindness? We, we, we had a, a woman come and live with us for maybe a month. If my mom and dad were here, they could tell the story better than I can. And we didn't really know where she came from. She spent most of her time reading her Bible and eating. She wasn't a large woman at all. She would read, and if she wasn't reading, she would eat. She would go right back to reading her Bible. She was homeless, and she always had stuff to share and say. She would be reading her Bible, and she'd just start reading out loud. And... I think mom and dad would testify that it it was often things that they needed to hear. And then one day she left. And dad has always said that he's fairly confident that was an angel. We don't know why she was there. But it was it was just it was different. What does kindness prove? to us, to the world, to God. What does kindness prove? Maybe that we need to experience kindness through Christ. Someone cares. Someone cares. There are still good people. That there are still good people. Proves God's presence. Thank you. Kindness reflects the character of God. Kind acts prove to others that we love them, that we care about them. The mercy side of kindness expresses that we love them even if they don't deserve it. And I say that very carefully because everyone deserves your love. But the people that in our minds don't deserve it, the undeserving, that's who we are. We were undeserving of salvation. Nothing that you do could ever earn you that salvation. They do deserve it. Zechariah 7, 8 through 11. The the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Let's speak the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute your judgment, show mercy and compassion, there are to his mother, and pressed up the widow. Nor the fatherless, the stranger, the poor, and let none of you abandon the father of your heart. But they refused to hearken and pull away the shoulder. 
I hope that is never said of us that they turned a cold shoulder. That's where the term comes from. Show mercy. Many in the world look at us as if we're idiots. I think it's wonderful, wonderful being one of God's idiots. Thank you. Show mercy to your brother. That's that Chesed word in Hebrew. Show loving kindness. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Go to Luke 10. Luke 10, 25 through 37. For the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole passage. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. You have two different people who were at odds with each other, two people from different countries. Virginia, West Virginia, whatever you want to say. They didn't get along. It was unheard of for them to get along. And one of them gets beat up and robbed and is on the side of the road. And the one that comes by and should show mercy, should show loving kindness, does nothing. Did he deserve it? They were in the same church, you might say. Another one comes by, same thing. Nothing. Another one comes by whose opinion should have been, you don't deserve my help. Your people don't like my people. And he's the one that shows loving kindness. Now, think about how this started out. This came, this came about because a lawyer says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I've told you before, I love the words that are used. And Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you see it? And he says, love the Lord the God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, with all thy mind, and love the neighbor as yourself. Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. The word that he uses there is not eternal life. That word that he uses is just, you'll live. Yeah, you do that, you do that and you'll live. And I think it annoyed the lawyer a little bit because it says, but he willing to justify himself. In other words, he, he tried to say, okay, I've done that. Don't I get eternal life? He willing to justify, trying to justify himself says, who's my neighbor? You know, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Maybe, maybe that's where I'm failing. So who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. It's those that we think don't deserve it. It's those that we're at odds with. It's not just the people you rub shoulders with every day and that you get along with. Kindness extends to the world around us. A lot of these fruits of the Spirit, sorry, fruit, a lot of these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit are supposed to affect those that we go to church with, those in the Christian brotherhood, whether it's your church or down the road or somewhere else. A lot of them are definitely supposed to affect that, but... Some of them are kind of reserved for that. And Paul says very specific things about loving your brother, implying those that are of the same belief to you. This kindness goes beyond that. This kindness goes to the world around you, everyone. It's not just something that you keep in here with the people that you know and love. Know and love the world. What motivates our kindness? If you back up to Luke 6, Luke 6, 43 through 45, For a good tree bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. What motivates our kindness? Is it something that we're just putting on? Are we just trying to be nice to people? Is, is that what kindness is? Just, just try to be nice to people. No. no. He hit me. 
Well, just try to be nice to him. Well, that's good. But that's not, that's not the way we're supposed to act as adults. He hit me. Love him back. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive them their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not them their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Are we in trouble? How does kindness affect those around us? The people that we're kind to, they're usually going to reciprocate that kindness, aren't they? You know, for the most part. Sometimes they it falls on deaf ears. But for the most part, people are kind. What causes people to be mean? Hurt. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. That is so true. Hurt people hurt people. Lack of love and compassion causes people to be mean. Thinking about the opposite of kindness as being meanness or whatever you want to, word you want to put there. Discontent people are mean. Angry people versus being joyful. Hurt people hurt people. I had you read that just a little too soon, I believe. So a mean spirit wants revenge. Jesus says, forgive. That was Matthew 6.14. A mean spirit wants to exalt itself. Matthew 23.12, Jesus says, seek humility. I'm rushing through some of these. I know, I'm sorry. A mean spirit wants to be first. Mark 9.35 says, choose to be last. A mean spirit wants to fight. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. A mean spirit wants to gossip. Proverbs 13.3 says, guard your mouth. A mean spirit is rude. Some people are just rude. I'm blown away by how mean and rude some people are. People that you would expect to be kind and courteous. People that sit at the front desk of a business and you walk in the door and you just get a cold shoulder and like you're a burden to their life. Are we that way when we're approached? We're the person at the front desk for Jesus. At my showroom, at my office, when you walk in the door, the person that greets you is an extension of the company. They, they, your front man, the point man on a job site, they need to represent the company. Everything that they do, the way that they act, the way that they treat you needs to be a reflection of, of the goals and the values of the company. We're the, we're the receptionist for Christ. When people come to us, for whatever it is, how do we act? Are we rude or are we kind? Colossians 4, 6 says to be gracious. Our speech should be gracious. The fruit of the Spirit goes against the nature of man, goes against all these mean-spirited things. Maybe sometimes it feels like all your fruit's been picked. You're stretched. You've stretched your emotion of love in so many directions that if you loved your neighbors yourself, he wouldn't be very well off. You mourn with so many that mourn that you can only be happy for those who rejoice. Maybe you feel like you've shown kindness to so many who don't turn in kind that you resort to your old mean self when interacting with even those you hold dear. You ever feel that way? I only wrote that because I feel that way sometimes. Like I've given so much of myself that I just can't, I can't love anymore. Like, sorry, you're out of luck. I have no kindness left for you. How do we deal with people who take advantage of us, of our kindness? How do we deal with burnout? Does someone have Luke 6? 
32 through 43. Actually, I just read that a minute ago, didn't I? No, I didn't. I'm going to go ahead and read it. I'm right there. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I don't always feel like I get back what I give. He says that you will, right? Patience. You'll get it back eventually. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. That's what we're supposed to strive for, being perfect, being as our master. It's not that we want to be held up above Jesus, but we want to strive to that level of perfection and be as the master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. Good man out of the good treasure of his heart, and so on. What is the source? If the source is yourself and just wanting to be nice to people and kind to people because I want people to think good of me, I want people to have the opinion that Joel's a good person, Joel's a kind man. If that's my motive and that's my goal, I'm going to burn out because people will abuse that and use that and I hope they do, because I hope I'm tapped into a source that's deep enough to cover all that they want and need. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law of the promise. Thank you. The golden rule. Whatever you want people to do, do to you. Mom would say, growing up, do unto others as you want others to do unto you, not as they just did to you. Don't retaliate. Our behavior should not be based on the behavior of others. Back to the he hit me. Well, you hit me first. Patience, Lord. Why did you kick your sister? Because she took my Legos. Patience and kindness. We teach children from, the, from that big up to be kind. Don't do that. Be nice. Be kind. And then somewhere about here, we start to lose it. And then somewhere about here, if you get there, you start realizing that you really needed to learn it down here because it applies to the rest of your life and the rest of the relationships that you have. Philippians 2, 13 through 16, I'd like to read that in the Amplified, talking about being burned out. Philippians 2, 13 through 16. Not in your own strength... For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. 
Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among yourselves, that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, among whom you are seen as bright lights in the dark world. We're called to be a light. It wasn't easy back then to be kind to people. It's not easy today to be kind to people, to show love. I don't think God ever said, you know, it, it, this is just going to be all a bed of roses. Just, just love everybody. Everybody love everybody. You know, if everybody did, then it would be a bed of roses. But the world doesn't. And sometimes we don't. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Be not deceived, God is For whatsoever man soweth, that shall be also reap. For he that soweth the displeasure shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth the spirit shall the spirit be like that rising. And let us not be weary of building, for in due season we shall reap as we faith not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us be good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So there it is. Kindness to all men. Then he clarifies, especially to those that are of the household of faith, right? But to all men. Now, get something about sowing and reaping. I started out this evening talking about the different types of soil and wondering what type of soil your heart is. And we're talking about fruit, and I said already this week that one of the significances of fruit, sorry, is that it has seeds in it, right? If you think about seeds being planted in your heart, and they produce again 160 or 30 fold, whatever they're producing, they're producing fruit which then has seeds in it, right? And what do we do when we're giving away the fruit, when we're expressing love in kindness, when we're being patient and forbearing? We're giving our fruit which contains seeds. Those seeds are falling in different types of soils. You'll sow, you'll reap what you sow. How much fruit are we producing? And do we acknowledge that the seeds that we're passing on in the fruit have effect on people? Not just here and now, but eternal effect on people. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't just affect us. You know, Paul says you need to have these fruits in your life. If you're truly being led by the Spirit and you're done with, done with being controlled by the consequences of the law and you have freedom in Christ, this is what your life is going to look like and you're going to be fruitful. That fruitfulness is not just for us. It shows what's going on in here, but it affects everyone else around us. It could mean eternity for someone. Kindness to me is where the rubber meets the road. Kindness in action. I've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. Of course, kind words are important too. I have a list of things here. And I wonder how long it would take you to check off everything on that list and how awkward it would feel for you or how natural some of them would feel for you. You've probably had opportunity maybe to participate in a random acts of kindness evening or week. It's, I think it's good for, for a church body to say, everyone this week, pick a card out of this basket and whatever's on it, you need to go do for someone. Random acts of kindness. You have a name basket, and you have an act basket. Just, just the people in the church and say, all right, John's going to Ken's house and planting flowers. Whatever it is, taking them out for supper. Praying for a half an hour, whatever it is. How long would it take you to check these off? Mail a handwritten letter to an elderly person not related to you. You know the elderly people really, really love getting letters in the mailbox. Now, I'm not very old yet, but as elderly people were once younger and younger people, they like emails too, so we might let that one slide. Call your minister and thank him for the sermon. Don't just have roast preacher for lunch. Pay for a stranger's meal. Tell a brother or sister in church you love them. We don't express that enough. We like stoic fathers, like to assume that our children know that we love them. 
we like to assume that our brothers and sisters in church know that we love them, and I think we're called to express it. Not just in acts of kindness, but to say, I love you. Tell a stranger, I hope something good happens to you today. I had someone tell me that recently, and it, it rocked my world. I, I needed it that day, and that meant so much. Sometimes kindness is choosing not to say anything. Sometimes choosing kindness is more than we could ever say. Thank you.